Right now on Matter of Fact, a year and a half after the death of George Floyd, the debate over police reform is in the hands of the voters. One of the, the big worries that we hear is, uh, is this actually about abolishing the police or defunding the police? Find out why all eyes are on the ballot in Minneapolis and what it could mean for police departments around the country. Plus, Frida Kahlo's stunning artwork drew from her personal experiences with physical pain and isolation. She was completely lonely. Why this brilliant artist's vibrant portraits deliver a timely message that resonates today. But first, in this small Midwestern town, you can't help but notice that the Latinx population is booming. 15 years ago, I don't know if anybody knew what a burrito was or a taco. And now you get your choice of lots of places. What the remarkable transformation of Arcadia, Wisconsin says about the changing landscape of America. I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. We are a nation of immigrants, and while rural America is sometimes less diverse than the nation as a whole, the 2020 census is showing a demographic shift. 24% of rural Americans are people of color. Much of that growth is from an influx of immigrants, particularly Latino populations. Arcadia, in west-central Wisconsin, is home to nearly 4,000 people. Over the past two decades, the Latino population there has grown rapidly, filling an increasing demand for workers in manufacturing, meat processing, and dairy. But in the last few years, the immigrant population has outgrown the number of American-born residents in Arcadia. Our correspondent, Jessica Gomez, traveled there to see how this change is impacting the community. I always say you don't know where you're going until you know where you came from. In an old German church turned museum, Carol Berkland is tasked with documenting the history of Arcadia, Wisconsin. It was Native Americans here. Uh, nothing was here. And then the, the English came and then the Polish and the Germans. The small town settled in the mid-1800s by grain farmers. Today, the face of Arcadia is changing once again. 15 years ago, I don't know if anybody knew what a burrito was or a taco, and now you get your choice of lots of places. The number of Latino immigrants skyrocketing here over the past two decades. They now make up more than 60% of Arcadia's population. 36-year-old Freddy Rebeletto came here when he was 15, one of only a handful of Mexicans in his high school. There was no Mexican stores in Arcadia. The sports were different. Uh, now, now they have uh, soccer. Uh, I love soccer, and back then there was football. He's following in his father's footsteps, a supervisor at a chicken processing plant. Others drawn to Arcadia for jobs in furniture manufacturing, or often on dairy farms. The growth has been absolutely phenomenal. Cole Bowick, president of Arcadia's Chamber of Commerce. He says the change has revitalized a once struggling downtown. One of the statistics is one manufacturing job creates 3.4 additional jobs. And we wouldn't have the, the restaurants in town, we wouldn't have the retailers in town, would it not be for these large companies here? So if we're unable to fill those open positions, 
then companies look at, you know, relocating to different areas. Si uno más aquí. But the rapidly changing demographic hasn't come without its growing pains. 75% of students in the school district are Latino. Throw it out. But only about 10% of teachers are bilingual. It boils down to just trying to attract more and more teachers uh, that are bilingual. Uh, trying to attract more and more support staff that are bilingual so that not only are we able to help students access content uh, in their native language while learning English, but also having that ability to communicate with families. Next year, the district will offer some dual language classes. And Bagstad says declining test scores seen during the biggest influx of immigrants a few years back are now on the rise. Arrancar el carro. About 15 miles out of town, farm workers taking a break to learn English. They feel it's honorable, it's an honorable profession, not just a stepping stone to something else. Dairy farmer John Rose now says he hasn't had an American-born job applicant in more than a decade. Would you have a farm if you couldn't hire immigrants? No, the reality is uh, uh, if uh, these 12 people left, um, there was nothing. The only thing we could do is uh, quit, sell the cows. So Rose now, like many other employers across the region, relying on workers whose immigration status is often murky. What we as employers are required to do is we're required to get documentation within three days of, of employment, which we do. Whether they're real or not, we don't know. And uh, so if I had a guess, 95% um, are undocumented. That's why some back in Arcadia say it could take another generation for the city to truly adapt. There are still no Latinos on the school board or in elected office. Sometimes you'll see resistance uh, come in areas of some people don't like change. A lot of times you'll see rural America and small town communities that if you're not changing and you're not adapting, you're dying. <laughs> It's change that Freddie and his family say make Arcadia feel like home. They treat you good. Now there's no difference of no matter what your color skin is. It's um, we are one community. I feel Arcadia is well on the way to be a blended community, which means everyone's going to be accepted just like it was in the 1850s. It's history, Carol Berkland says in the making. In Arcadia, Wisconsin, for Matter of Fact, I'm Jessica Gomez. Next on Matter of Fact. We continue to pour money into an armed police-only model and people continue to die. The call for police reform in Minneapolis goes to a vote. How the outcome could influence policing across America. And she painted her pain. Learn how Frida Kahlo's brilliant works of art are helping people find strength and resilience today. Plus, ever wonder what goes into your snowboard or the bumper on your car? How materials from giant wind turbines are being put to everyday use?
back to Matter of Fact. On Tuesday, voters in Minneapolis will decide whether to overhaul their police department. The proposed amendment to the city's charter would limit the size and scope of the police department and incorporate a public health approach. Supporters say the proposal will address many of the problems that led to the 2020 killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who was convicted of murder. Minister Janae Bates is the communications director for Yes for Minneapolis. It's a coalition behind the proposal. Let's begin with these phrases, defund the police, reform the police. Some people say reallocate the, the money that is spent on policing. What exactly is the goal of question two? Question two is about expanding public safety. Uh, we know that in the city of Minneapolis, many uh, police officers have named and residents have realized that we're calling on police to be everything, to be social workers and mental health professionals and homeless outreach coordinators. Uh, and the reality is, is that the city is not currently resourced uh, to have all of those qualified professionals within the city. So. The question two allows you to expand public safety so that the Minneapolis Police Department actually becomes a department of public safety, uh, allowing all these other qualified professionals to be a part of it. Can you explain to me then how it works? What we know is that the 911 responders would be trained uh, to know when it's appropriate, when it's safe to dispatch uh, a different professional than an armed police officer. Um, we saw this happen in the city of Denver, Colorado, for example. They've been able to pilot their STAR program for the last six months where they have had almost 800 calls um, that were diverted from police to a medical team. Uh, and a unit that's prepared with mental health providers, homeless outreach, and substance abuse specialists. Who would be in charge of this new public safety department? Yes, it would be a department commissioner who is nominated and appointed by the city council members and the mayor. Uh, and this is the same process that every single department in the city of Minneapolis actually goes through for their oversight structure. I think one of the, the big worries that we hear is, uh, is this actually about abolishing the police or defunding the police? But the reality is, is that it does neither. As a matter of fact, there is a state statute that mandates that police officers respond to a series of situations within the city. Uh, nothing about this charter change would undermine that or override that. Uh, the other thing is that the police department as an entity will continue on. They'll continue patrol and response, and the city gets to add all these other qualified professionals to the Department of Public Safety. I think a lot of people point to some rising numbers, uh, specifically in homicides, and, and I think that gets used to be a, a starting point of uh, this is not the right time, we should be doubling down on law enforcement, not even thinking about reform. The reality is, is we continue to pour money into an armed police only model um, and people continue to, to die. The reality is, is we keep pouring more and more money into a model that doesn't work. And we haven't actually leaned into these things that I've named, like the prevention and intervention strategies that have been proven to lower issues of gun violence. And so we don't have to continue to study and research and admire, quite frankly, these problems. We can actually take a bold step forward. And it is one step. 
right? Janae Bates is uh, the minister and she's the comms director for Yes for Minneapolis. Nice to talk to you, Janae. Thanks for your time. Coming up, she was a brilliant, vibrant painter who overcame unimaginable odds. A lot of her story involves pain and suffering. Why Frida Kahlo's story is so important today. And thousands of Afghans who fled to the U.S. are in limbo. How Americans are getting an historic chance to help Afghan families make a home here. probably recognize her fierce and powerful look. Many of the pictures the legendary Mexican artist Frida Kahlo painted were self-portraits, notable for their vibrancy and use of color. Kahlo painted despite severe hardship and chronic pain. Now, a new exhibition planned before the pandemic is highlighting her extraordinary work and life and giving people hope. At the end of the day, we can endure much more than we think we can, said the artist Frida Kahlo. Why do you think Frida Kahlo is particularly relevant right now? She was completely lonely and in a way like we were all during the COVID period, you know, in lockdown, and she managed to really come out and express herself. The Norton Museum of Art had planned this exhibit. Frida Kahlo, Diego Rivera, and Mexican modernism before COVID hit but postponed it till now. Frida's story in particular ended up becoming more relevant as people emerged from the isolation of the pandemic, just as she had emerged following a catastrophic bus accident at the age of 18 to eventually create approximately 200 works of art. A lot of her story involves pain and suffering and perseverance. Yeah, I think that's part of the reason why people are so taken with her. Uh, she's a great artist, and she's a great artist despite all of these challenges that she faced. I think she found strength in her art, in the act of creation. The crowd, masked and cautious, came to see the feminist icon called one of the 10 most influential artists of the 20th century. But the exhibit goes beyond her reflective self-portraits. It's about Mexican modernism, a movement of the 20s and 30s that touched the masses with its combination of social realism and surrealistic imagery. For me, a museum is a hub of creativity. It's a place where you do a dialogue between generations about art from around the world. But we need to be relevant. That mean, doesn't mean that we have to do only something specific about one artist, but we need an exhibition to have a program around, which is relevant for the community. At the Box Gallery in West Palm Beach, contemporary artist Rolando Chang Barrero said all Latin art translates well during this period because it draws from inner strength. It's timely. Um, people have been isolated. Uh, people have been ill. People have suffered losses. What art can give us in a time like this is a lesson in how to grow stronger, how to get by. The curator would say, like at a time when people are also dealing with social unrest and coming through a pandemic, this idea of perseverance is an interesting one. Um, I was thinking about that because you can, so many people identify with her and she has this dark side. But I think that, you know, it's very easy to identify with that when you're going through things. And she, you know, speaks to a lot of people in that way. West Palm Beach kept the doors open. Keith James is the mayor of West Palm Beach. 
He says it's been a long road. Quite frankly, I remember in the early days of COVID, I would drive in from my home uh, in the Western communities. There would be no one on the street. Now the more cars are out there, uh, you see more activity in the parks, and, and even, you know, uh, conventions are returning, which are now signs that, you know, we are coming back. Frida Kahlo created 55 self-portraits, many of them a reflection of her often stated belief that nothing is absolute, that things can change. Perhaps that's what life and art has taught us, to look inside ourselves when things get tough and gather strength. Up next, thousands of Afghans are in limbo, most stuck on U.S. military bases. We revisit a refugee assistance group that welcomed 22 families in a past week. Plus, these blades are big, longer than the wings of a Boeing 747. Find out how the blades from these giant machines are getting a second life in popular products. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. Welcome back to Matter of Fact. Tens of thousands of Afghans escaped the Taliban just two months ago. Today, their lives are still in limbo. Up to 50,000 Afghans are living on eight U.S. military bases. Many aren't eligible for refugee assistance under United Nations criteria. So the U.S. government is asking Americans to step up and fill in the gaps. The initiative, which is known as the Sponsor Circle Program, was announced by the State Department this week. Under the program, five or more adults will form a support group for a family. Sponsors are asked to provide cash support, food, shelter, and help with paperwork. Our correspondent, Laura Chavez, visited the Dallas-Fort Worth Refugee Outreach Services last month, where Zenat Khan and her crew were expecting a number of Afghan families. Since then, Zenat's organization has taken in about 30 families. Each family has at least six children. Zenat says coordinators and volunteers, while eager to help, get easily overwhelmed trying to assist. But the State Department is optimistic that people will respond. Communities, big and small, urban and rural, have expressed interest in helping Afghans. When we come back, what do wind turbines and snowboards have in common? More than you know, how material from giant fiberglass blades is being put to use every day. Finally, the Biden administration is moving forward with a plan to deploy wind turbines at seven sites off the U.S. coast by 2030. That means production of turbines is likely to ramp up. But ever wonder where a wind turbine goes when its energy-producing days are over? Okay, well, me neither. But in terms of efficiency, wind energy is hard to beat. It has, though, a short lifespan of 30 years. Though 85% of the materials are recyclable, the fiberglass blades are not. And these blades are big, longer than the wings of a Boeing 747. To avoid sending these giant pieces to landfills, companies and researchers in the U.S. and in Europe are finding ways to make them useful. One firm is crushing the blades to make cement. Scientists are designing prototypes to repurpose the blades into bridges. And these ground-up propellers will be upcycled for use in auto and boat manufacturing. Even snowboards could be made out of an old turbine blade. Kind of a wind-win situation. Get it? Wind-win? Come on, that was funny. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien. We'll see you back here next week.
If you missed our top stories about the impact of immigration on small town America, the upcoming vote in Minneapolis on overhauling their police department, Frida Kahlo's life lessons for people today, and the latest on Afghan families resettling in the U.S., just go to matteroffact.tv. And listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI, Pluto, and YouTube.